Hey, my friends, welcome to Tea Talk with Ty, the podcast that encourages you to take a sip and chat about life, wellness, love, and everything else in between. <laughs> I'm your host and new BFF, Ty Wonder, and I'm cheering you on to greatness. So grab a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever you prefer to sip on, get cozy, and let's chat. All right, and welcome to Tea Talk with Ty and our Solidarity Talks. I can't talk yet. How about that? It's Monday. <laughs> and today I am interviewing James. How you doing, James? Good. How are you doing? I can't complain one bit. Thanks so much for joining me today. Of course, of course. Awesome. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about you, um, where you're from and where you live now, and what ethnicity are you? Because they can't see you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is James. I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, currently living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I'm a white dude, um, living with (laughs) my uh, wife, um, running a business, and uh, trying to uh, live life with two crazy toddlers. Oh, two toddlers. Oh, bless your heart. How old are they? Uh, four and one just turned three. So they're they're in the midst of their crazy greenager. Um, <laughs> they're so funny at that age. It's like it's a blessing that they're close in age. They can keep each other busy. But then, oh, my gosh, the, the fights and the arguments and the, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I have brothers that are there. You're like 16 months apart, so I know I know that feeling very well. Yeah, being in, uh, as we talked before, being in the military and then, you know, being a police officer and doing some of the other things we've done, I don't think it's ever been as hard as having uh, toddlers. Toddlers kind of take <laughs> uh, on difficulties of, of life as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's like they're they're little they're little teenagers slash old people's and baby bodies or something. That's the craziest thing, toddlers. They know exactly what buttons to push at all times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my goodness. Well, thank you so much for making time to chat with me today. I truly appreciate it. Um, in our talks, we've been I've been trying to talk to everyone from every spectrum um, to have every type of voice heard for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. and um i I don't like referring to people as colors i like flavors because you know all the flavor when you go to get ice cream all the flavors are (laughs) in the front of the store and they're all amazing they're just different they're all equally yummy and bad for your tummy but (laughs) they're all amazing right so (laughs) um I did interview a chocolate cop and it was literally making me sick that I could not find a vanilla cop because I felt biased to have one and not the other, Mm -hmm. not intentionally, but just because I feel like, well, how could you be inclusive and you don't have another side of that same spectrum, if that makes sense. Right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, (laughs) So... I had everything on silent. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Too much technology. Um, tell us a little bit about your experiences being an officer. Um, well, I'm probably going to have a different experience, obviously, than many other people. I worked in a small town in Wisconsin, so it was only about 4,000 people. I got hired with a good, well, at the time, I didn't know him that well, but right now we're both really good friends. So we work together. We got hired together. Um, small rural Wisconsin town. So it was perfect fit for me. I was not, I love the city. I'm a city guy. But as far as working it as a police officer, I did not want to work in a city because I wanted to actually get to know people. I actually wanted to be a cop that helped people, not just went from call to call kind of getting things done as quickly as possible and moving on to the next one. I wanted to talk to people and, and do all the things, you know, that I had in my mind of being a police officer. So when I got hired there, it was an ideal situation for me and, and being in the town that I was in, I got to know everybody really well. Everybody got to know me to the point where we could go out to the bars drinking. We could play softball or baseball together. Um, do community events and everybody knew me by my first name. They knew where I lived. 
Um, there are people that I arrested and then I would have drinks with, you know, a month down the road. Um, <laughs> so it's just a different atmosphere and it fit me and my personality a little bit better than what I would imagine working in a city. Okay. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Awesome. So I do have a few questions I'm going to start with, um, before we get into anything else from, um, some of my social media friends. Um, I asked them if you can ask a chocolate cop or a vanilla cop anything, what would you ask? Are you ready for these questions? Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, do you feel that there are actually more cases of police brutality against minorities or do you think it's just an issue now? Um, that is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know the stats of everything. I have a feeling that, yes, there's a lot more. Uh, violence towards minorities um, than the general population. But, uh, you know, without me looking at stats in front of me, I don't really know that answer. But yeah. there are a lot of things that are hidden or untraced or tracked. So having that information would be vital to understanding where to fix the problems. That makes sense. Okay. Um, when you were a police officer, were you fearful to approach? chocolate suspects for fear of retaliation? No, never. Uh, that's something that I never really thought of. Um, granted, I was in a small town that was majority vanilla, but uh, mm -hmm. I got to know a lot of people regardless of their background, and I like getting to know people for people. Um, and so anytime I'd approach anybody regardless of their skin color or their socioeconomic background, as long as you know I felt safe, I didn't have a problem with approaching anybody. In fact, I liked approaching people to learn their background and their stories. Okay. I love it. You sound like you were an amazing cop. Like you're the, you're the, the, the type that we need that just everybody's like, Oh, you know, officer so-and-so yeah, he helped me with my car one time, you know, just like those, just those police officers that you, you know, feel nothing but that warmth from, I'm, I'm kind of a hippie, so <laughs> follow me here. <laughs> no, I got you. I, I miss, I miss being a cop. It was fun. And I, and I really appreciated, you know, the, and respected the, the position that I was in. And I mean, we can talk, like I said, we can talk about this for hours. Um, my perspective on policing was very different, even in the department I was in, even though it was smaller, we only had eight officers and my perspective on things was very different. And, and I would get, you know, I don't know, scolded or talked to a lot more than some of the other officers because my perspective of how to approach certain situations was very different. Um, because I wasn't a letter of the law type of person. I was a spirit of the law. Um, my job was to protect people or be there and help them. And if I was only there to give tickets or to, I don't know, get them in trouble for things they were doing wrong, then that is not the job of a police officer in my perspective. Um, it is to make sure the community trusts me and make sure the community can come to me when they're in need of me or other police officers. So then that's just some of the differences of opinion from, from the way I approach policing versus, you know, some other police officers might, might experience or think of it. Got it. I love it. Um, so I have to ask you both, um, as a, as a person and then as a former police officer, I'm sure you've seen, or at least read the stories about George Floyd, um, which was primarily the reason why I started these conversations. Um, how does all of that make you feel? What are your thoughts? Well, I haven't watched the video, but I've seen the snapshots of it and I've seen the stories and, and I know there's another, um, another person that was killed in Atlanta just recently. Mm -hmm. And it just, it makes me sick. Um, it makes me feel even stronger about some of my thoughts that I had way back when I was a police officer. Um, and I've lost friends who are police officers because of my point of view that there needs to be some sort of police reform. Um, I don't know if these, to me, these videos just prove it even more. Um, and that those are only the, the only ones that are just on camera that we see. Um, so knowing this, knowing what happens even in my small, in the small town that I worked at, I know there needs to be changes. There needs to be 
different ways of, of treating certain situations that, you know, explode into something that turns into a, 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 a tragic, tragic, tragic scene. And if we, we want to get respect from, as police officers, if you want respect from people, if you want to build trust with them, you cannot put them in positions where you're going to have escalation of violence of, of situations. And right now, as police officers, we're not trained to do that. We have escalation and de-escalation thought processes. We have a use of force continuum, but the way that we're trained is to go into a situation and protect yourself and watch for escalation and always be one up over the, the person who we're encountering. And if you're continually thinking that way and doing things that way, you are asking for a resolution that's going to end in escalation. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And if we don't change the way that we view some of these interactions, it's only a matter of time before the next one. Right. So, and this goes into so much more psychological aspects of policing. Um, you're dealing with people, generally speaking, where you're not seeing them at their best. You're not dealing with them at their best. And as police officers, if you're constantly coming across people at their worst or at not their best, you're eventually psychologically going to start viewing those people differently. Mm-hmm. So having those situations with no intervention continually it's it's inevitable these these situations are continually inevitable and they will be until there's change right Hmm. um i interviewed a um he was the the well the fiance of an interracial couple who's uh, a combat veteran and one of the things he said it kind of took my breath away for a second. He said he felt like um, combat veterans should not be police officers because of their, um, they're always on so alert as a, as a veteran and combat veteran. How do you feel about that? That is difficult to answer because I think it's person specific. Um, Mm. I am a combat veteran and I feel like I'm perfect to be a police officer because I understand where my biases are. I understand how emotion can affect my decision making. And I try really hard to be better in every circumstance that I'm in. Um, I'm not perfect. So there are certain times when I was a police officer that I would probably respond with a little more frustration than I should have, which that alone can escalate a situation. Mm -hmm. But I tried very hard to think of it from the other person's point of view and try and police in a way that saw their side. And that usually served me very well. So maybe I'm generalizing from my perspective, but I, I don't feel like being a combat veteran precludes you from being a police officer. It just depends on the person and their personality in general. Um, so it, it would be a, more of a psychological aspect of the, the person you're talking to and, and how the veteran experience or the combat experience affected them and how they view those situations dealing with people as a police officer. That could be very different between me and the next person. And so it's something that would need to be looked into you know, a little bit deeper. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Um... Also, as a veteran, another question I've been asking everyone is their um, thoughts, both prior to George Floyd and now after everything being so open. Um, What were your thoughts on Kaepernick and his um, protests? (laughs) And if they are the same now and if they're different, what are they? Uh, My thoughts are exactly the same as they were when he was doing that. Um, I thought he had every right to do it. The approach that he took to it was thoughtful and respectful. He, I know he talked to a, a former veteran, I believed, about a, a, the best way to protest or uh, try and get his message across. So to me, he was bringing up a good point. And the fact that he made so many people so emotional about it proved that he was right, <laughs> that there well. needed to be a change. Um, especially when there's veterans screaming that it's not 
about the flag. It's not about disrespecting the military. Right. So to me, he, you know, if, 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 if he's kneeling for the national anthem, you know, the flag and everything, I get the disrespect side of it. I get that side of it, but that's not what it's about. Right. So if you understand the point of it and you understand that there is a need for what he's speaking about, then you change whatever that is. And then they stand up. Now, if he were to sit there and then have some sort of violent response or aggressive response, do you think people would change any more or less than if he was kneeling? I think people, anytime you show aggression towards somebody's point, different difference in point of view, they're going to be less likely to change or hear your side of the story or want to change or even hear what you have to say. So doing what he did, I think, was a perfect response to, to the, the message he was trying to get across. And I don't think it changes at all now. Um, hopefully the NFL and some of the owners allow him to get back into the NFL because clearly he's one of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the U.S. and he should be on a team. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's kind of my, my point of view. I agree. And I don't understand why it's such a little known fact but it he was initially he was sitting on the bench during the um national anthem yep and it was a i want to say it was an army veteran that reached out to him and said hey it's disrespectful because that was you know that was his team that that was his favorite player and so he reached out to him via social media and said hey this is disrespectful um and they had a conversation of how they could um how he felt like kaepernick could have his protest but still not be disrespectful to you know the the country or or veterans and that was what they came up with was to take a knee yeah and i think in many cultures kneeling is a sign of respect absolutely so it's it's just people trying to go against his message it has nothing to do with how he's doing it they just don't like that he's doing something Mm -hmm. for whatever reason it is and they don't understand the message um, or don't like the message, so they're just trying to find any way to go against it. It has nothing to do with the flag or the anthem. Right, right, I agree. Um, how do you feel about hearing the terms Black Lives Matter and the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, I think it's great. I think anytime, you know, just like Colin Kaepernick kneeling, you know, anytime there's an injustice of any kind, there should be groups and leaders that get together that try and enact some sort of social justice or social change and bring attention to whatever their message is. So Black Lives Matter is just another one of those organizations that, you know, rightfully so came together to bring together people and try and get a message across that there needs to be a change of some kind. Um, and, And because these protests will eventually die out, they always do you know, people always have to go back to their lives. And, you know, the longer they, they're sustainable, the greater kind of impact they'll have. I mean, there's already been pretty good impacts from, from having these protests, but eventually just like anything, they're going to die out. So having these kind of organizations come together and stay together to get the message across and definitely that'll only help progress this message even farther and hopefully bring in more people to the organization or, or try and uh, bring that message to other people and be more educated about what people are talking about and what people are trying to change. So I think it's, I think it's a great thing. Right. I agree. Um, I know this is probably going to sound like a stupid question, but (laughs) um, the more interviews I've done and the more things I've asked um, people, I'm realizing some people just don't know, but did you, do you understand why the Black Lives Matter movement started and why it's so important? I don't remember the specific starting point from it. If, if, if there was a, a, a hint, I'd probably remember some of the, the initial start of it. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain for it right now because I know I've read this stuff in the past, mm-hmm. um, but I, I you'd have to remind me. I want to say it started, and I'm not completely certain, but I want to say it started around the time of Trayvon Martin and what was that other? There was um, like two other young men. The Missouri, uh, Mike, the Brown. Oh, yep, yep, him. Uh Uh-huh. 
I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. I, w- I want to say all of it started around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds because, right. Yeah, the, the moms and the communities felt like those things just didn't even matter. You know, like, because, you know, they were murdered. It, it was okay. You know, their lives aren't important. They didn't, couldn't get justice for them. And, um, of course, um, I see anytime people are saying anything about black lives, black lives matter, then there's that pushback of well, all lives matter. Um, which is why I have to ask that question because some people don't understand when they're saying black lives matter, they're not saying that, um, anybody matters more than anybody. They're just saying that they all should be equal. And clearly, black lives don't seem to be equal. We don't, right. we don't get that same level of um, justice as um, as our fellow humans at times. It seems like, and it's it's real it's real discouraging and disheartening. So, of course, I had to ask that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Um, So obviously there's a a disparity between, you know, all lives matter, black lives matter. That's ridiculous. When I hear all lives matter, yes, of course, all lives matter. But in this circumstance, (laughs) (laughs) black lives matter is indicative of the times and the, 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 the lack of awareness and the lack of, change and the exact reason why black lives matter is even here is because there is something that is happening that is not an equitable, you know, way of reacting to things, um, whether it's policing or jobs or school or homes and like housing and, you know, all these different things, pay wages, all this stuff, you know, and we could, we could talk about this for a long time, but obviously there's, there's something that is not equitable between the two. So (laughs) saying that all eyes matter is just ignorant of the fact that right now they're trying to get, people are trying to get a message across that there's a certain aspect of humanity that is not feeling loved or not feeling seen or heard. And anytime that happens, you know, just like when you have toddlers, you can tell them so many times, about something and if they don't feel like they're being heard or listened to or loved, they're going to respond in a certain way. Um, you know, so having people that don't feel regardless, like, you know, even women have disparities in the way that they're treated. So having them speak up, you know, to the, to the, to the injustice or inequity that they're feeling, it's the same thing. Like, you know, and it just in a different way, like there's always going to be people that feel differently. And if they speak up about it, it's not wrong. It's right. You just have to understand what the messaging is and stop being ignorant to the fact that <laughs> you're trying to compare it to the larger grants, like larger people in the, in the world. Um, if I break my leg, you know, it's, it's not, I broke my leg, my leg matters. And everybody's like, all my, all of our legs matter. Well, no kidding, but your legs are fine right now. <laughs> right, exactly. The one that's broken, it needs the help. So pay attention to me, please. Um, right, like it's the logic doesn't make sense when people say that, and it makes me super frustrated because I don't know how. I honestly don't know how to talk to people who think that way. Like it is just right. very difficult for me to even have a normal conversation because it, it's like talking to a baby and trying to get them to understand advanced mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Just, right. Uh, like I have this dumbfounded look on my face. Like, are you even human? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so true. Um, I'm trying to think of how I want to wear my next question. I had a long conversation with um, a, a fellow Marine brother of ours who is of Manila variety. Um, he has been extremely frustrated with everything going on. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm hoping to get him interviewed here shortly, but he, um, has been putting out posts that incite frustration for a reason. So for example, he put out, and I promise I have a point of saying this, he (laughs) he posted an article 
from uh, from New York where a uh, female chocolate police officer was murdered by a chocolate guy in New York. Um, like just, I guess she was sitting in her car and was shot. He didn't put the date of the article. And unless you read the article, you didn't see what the date was. Mm-hmm. He didn't even put any commentary. He just posted it. And, you know, my, my knee jerk reaction was like, oh my God, that's so terrible. Is you know, it's like, you know, to think of cops being under fire right now because of everything going on stresses me out. Cause I have so many friends who are police officers I try to reach out to them at least weekly and say, Hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm just letting you know, I'm praying for you because I know mentally everything going on has to take somewhat of a toll because they're still humans at the end of the day and they yeah. want to get home safe of course. as they should. Sure. Um, but anyway, so um, I'm reading the comments and someone was like, why are you even this is an old article. This was from like three or four years ago. So this has nothing to do with what's going on right now. Why did you post this? And he commented um, to get the reactions out of people in the comments that I've already gotten, which made me go back and start clicking on all the comments because that was the only one that I had seen. Mm-hmm. And um, someone, he says, from his hometown and I forgot which city it's in, but he said it has very, very strong racist roots. She said, um, and I quote, my, uh, my opinion was clear. Black lives don't matter to black people until a white cop kills them. I pretty much shut down for the rest of the day after seeing that because it, it thought, it made me think like, oh my God, we're not animals. Why would someone say, why would someone say that? Why would you think that? So I made another post saying, you know, I just can't believe that I saw that. Um, and I was pretty emotional shutting down for the rest of the day. And he came in to chime in to say, um, you're not sending him a pri- private message and told him thank you. Because of course he was going back to prove like, hey, check your biases. And that was the point of him putting that post. Mm-hmm. Um, but he explained to me how he grew up in such a a I don't want to say racist but I guess it is more of a racist area um, that the KKK was common having signs that saying darkies not allowed here was common and he was explaining to me that he had his own biases about um, other races until he went into the Marine Corps and the the irony of that is he, we both have a, a connector that we didn't know mm-hmm. but that same connector we both know very well and they serve together um, you know he said I had to go to him and ask him all my questions because I was so clueless about like black people he's like I, I, I had biases that I didn't realize I had so my point of telling that story <laughs> was to ask you do you think um, you had biases before the Marine Corps? Because that brought an interesting perspective because we all know in the Marine Corps, we're all green. You know, we don't care where you come from. Um, well, I should say the majority of us. Because <laughs> there's always a few bad apples in every bunch. But, you know, typically we're, we're all green. We don't care about, you know, my... My my brothers and sisters in green are all of every color, creed, religion, race, and everything else. Do you feel like you had any biases unintentionally because of where you grew up before you went to the Marine Corps and were were exposed to uh, different cultures? Um, the short answer. The short, short answer is yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think almost it's impossible not, not to have biases or or thought processes that probably you go again as you become an adult or maybe they're enhanced more when you're adult. I don't, depending on the person and their experiences and what they do as they grow up, my family in general, while not super religious, you know, tend to be on the more conservative side. Um, Mm -hmm. They're very bubblish in their Wisconsin roots and they don't travel and experience different cultures. And I think I'm the first one in my immediate family that went to college. Um, some step family did, but generally speaking, I'm the only one who kind of explored and went out and did things. Um, and the, the Marine Corps, like I was still very 
ignorant or naive or whatever you want to call it before I went into the Marine Corps, um, the Marine Corps helped me open up and it, my personality was more so to learn from others, not to mm -hmm. be somebody who's like, I know everything, even though I was, you know, coming out of my teenage years and most teenagers know everything already. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I really felt that going into the Marines was a learning experience. So it's a learning experience, not just of the Marine Corps, but of other people and what they've experienced. And while we're all going to be resistant to change, generally speaking, and we're all going to be resistant to things that make us look like we made bad decisions or, or we're thinking poorly about, you know, whatever it is, you know, my experience was to learn from others. Um, and it took a little while and you, you, the Marine Corps helped with that. It helped open me up a little bit as far as expressing my point of view. But it also, you know, I learned from, obviously, you know this as well, in the Marine Corps, you see so many people from so many different walks of life with so many experiences. And if you're interested, you can definitely learn from others and it opens up your mind to different things. Like when I went to Iraq, I only had negative a negative perception of Iraqis. <clears throat> but when I got there, because all we hear about in the news is negative stuff. Right. right. Um, so when I got there, like I just, I was being observant. Um, and after a while, we got to meet them. We got to interact with them. They fed us food. You know, one Iraqi I was talking to knew about the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre, yeah. which right. was super cool. And the food was great. And I, and I started learning more about their background and you know, that was kind of my eye-opening experience of, you know, everybody's the same. We all want happiness for us and our families, and we just want to live, you know, with as much peace as we can. So so that was kind of my experience of going into the Marine Corps and then becoming a police officer. You know, it just kind of got more and more enhanced. And, you know, at the time I was dating a Puerto Rican girl. So, you know, I had her experience and her family's experience to learn from. One of my best friends was Sikh. Um, so I was learning from his background and his family and his friends. Um, so it's just, I, I tried to immerse myself in, in situations to learn, um, or meet people and, and try and, I don't know, like just be friends with the people, not just solely on familiarity of whatever I'm comfortable with. Um, so I don't think the Marine Corps did anything in particular. I think it was kind of a bunch of events that helped mm -hmm. me you know, broaden my horizon. It's how I view the world. Um, I lived in Guatemala for a little while. Um, and as I told you before, I, you know, I'm married to an Indian woman now. So all of these things are just, you know, I don't see them as being unbelievable, like learning experiences, but every single one of them, them is a learning experience for me to learn something outside of whatever my comfort zone was growing up in Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That's interesting. I love it. Um, and I think that can go in the opposite direction, too. So if you go into the Marine Corps and you have hardcore views, you know, you may in, in you may interact with people who just make you more hardline towards the way you think. So, I, you know, I don't think the Marine Corps is one way or the other. I think it's all the person and how they experience things and how they want to react to it. If they want to learn how to change and adjust, they will. If they don't, they're only going to become more hardline into whatever point of view they have. So I, I think it's just, it depends on the person and the group of friends they have and, and how they talk to each other and the, you know, peer pressure is everything. So if, if peer pressure pushes you in a direction to learn, you're going to learn if peer pressure pushes you in a direction to be more stagnant in your point of view, it, it will be. Yeah. It's um, it's funny you say that too. It reminded me of a, a story. My um, my ex husband, who's also a marine, was telling me one of his boot camp stories about um, one of the guys in his platoon who just did not like black people. Like I can't. He told me where the guy was from. I don't remember, but it was somewhere where you know it has very racist bones. They're not used to seeing other people, and they just don't like them. They have all of these biases, and the drill instructors realized it very early um, and they purposely put him together with um, a whole bunch of <laughs> the chocolate Marines. Mm -hmm. And um, he was saying how interesting it was. And that, you know, the, the, the guy cried, like he just did not want to be around them. He would have rather went home, but by the end of boot camp, he, 
um, he had changed his whole perspective, you know, um, and realized what his biases were just, you know, was where he was from, what he, what he had experienced, but it was really interesting. Yeah. It's usually just a learning. You, you need, people are just unfamiliar and people are unfamiliar. They're scared. Yeah. And, and if people are scared, it just then depends on the interaction. So he got put in a situation that he was scared of and, and the, the people that he was surrounding now surrounded with, you know, it was unfortunately up to them to make a good impression to change his point of view. And if right. they weren't the type of people to show him the time of day, then he would have not changed. But because they were probably awesome <laughs> and <laughs> stuck with him and yeah. made him see something that he didn't even realize was there. Now he opened up and understood where he was thinking poorly about, you know, people different from him. Well, quote unquote right. different. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um What's your, especially being a, a parent of toddlers who are going to grow up in this world, what, what is your hope and what is your fear for the outcome of everything um, that's happening right now? Me, my hope would be that they live a life without having any kind of negative outlook toward the way they look or the way they act, but... I know people and people sometimes suck. Um, so my hope is that they have a group of friends that will be there for them. They have a mom and dad that show them nothing but love and respect. So they have people that they can come to and talk to if they have problems or fears or, you know, some sort of thoughts that they don't understand. Um, that's my hope. You know, I grew up as a, you know, a vanilla <laughs> person in Milwaukee. And I never really experienced that too much. Um, so it will be something new if they are made fun of or talked down to because they look Indian or look, you know, non-white that will break my heart um, for them. And how I, how I deal with that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cause I've never dealt with that before. It's something that I'm completely unfamiliar with, but between myself and my wife and the, the ways that I hope to raise my kids, you know, I hope that they just understand that, you know, the, the love that I show them or that we show them can, you know, overcome any of that stuff. So they become curious and ask questions and understand why I, you know, I, it's, it's funny you bring, bring that up because I, just recently I was talking to a friend and she was asking about how to explain the riot to her kids and her kids are relatively young. They're like mm -hmm. seven or eight years old and she didn't want to hear about white privilege as being part of that conversation. And it's the, and the only reason I bring this up is because it's fresh. It was just last week. And I, you know, I talked to her and I explained to her some things about how to explain the riots. And I'm just like, but then again, white privilege is a thing, you know, white privilege isn't some weird thing to even think about. I mean, you think about it from any perspective, you know, as, as women and men or, you know, the different colors of your skin or the, the young versus the old or whatever it is, there's always going to be competing factions for, for, for a voice to be heard. Um, that's why there's ageism and ableism and sexism and racism. There's all these things because there's definitely a split between people on the way and how they're treated. Um, mm -hmm. so I explained that to her <laughs> and all I got back was, you know, a vitriolistic like comment back to me. And I was, and I was taken aback and I'm just like, I don't understand what I said or how I said this that made you mad. Um, and so trying to have these conversations, I think, is important. Um, and I'm still learning how to do this, is how to have these conversations with people mm -hmm. who literally, like, I'm talking to a wall. I don't understand how to talk to people, as I said earlier, that have no understanding of, you know, even what I'm talking about. Um, and, I, and I understand where it comes from. You know, they have an identity and a, a confidence and a thought process that's in one direction and trying to change that, you know, you're again, telling them that they're wrong or that their thought process is wrong and people are going to be protective of whatever it is that makes them feel confident in who they are. Um, but 
you know, it's difficult um, to have those conversations with people who are in complete opposition. A lot of my family members are in complete opposition to the way that I think about things. So I have a really hard time having those conversations. And while I won't kick them out of my life, you know, just for having an opposition of thought, um, the one thing that I won't stand for is people being mean or being aggressive, um, regardless of who you are. So having those conversations is important. And hopefully my kids growing up um, understand and hold those values to understand people are people and they're going to think differently. And cutting people off explicitly to cut them off is not the way to do it. It's, it's to be there when they need them. If they're going to be mean and aggressive, then maybe you step away for a while and come back to them when they're ready to listen. But there's no point in having a conversation with them to tell them to be disrespectful to others because, you know, you're not going to get the best out of people by being aggressive in, in any regards. You need to be kind. Um, aggressiveness is, there's a time and place for it, but uh, in these circumstances, sometimes you have to understand where to use it and where not to use it. Hopefully they learn that. Now that you mentioned that, I do have to ask you, what are your thoughts about um, the riots and the protests? Um, it's, uh, again, it's a difficult question. I, I don't condone violence and breaking into things and stealing things. Um, but on the other hand, I understand where it's coming from. I understand the ramifications for their actions. I understand, like, I understand all of it. Um, and people need to understand, like, again, it's the Colin Kaepernick thing again. You know, if, if you don't understand the root cause of it and you're not going to address the root cause of it, then you have to deal with the downstream effects of that. And so right. people are rioting or peaceful protesting. And then you have a certain faction that are rioting there. That, that's going to be in every case. It, do, it doesn't matter what color skin they have. It doesn't matter that it's, you know, a racism thing. If, if it's. If it's anything in society, anytime you're not being heard and the, the intensity increases, most of the people are going to be trying to get heard. The rest of them, there's going to be a small faction that are going to be a little more aggressive. And if you don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, you're never going to be able to address the problem and, and stop the, the violent part of it or the aggressive part of it. So, so to me, they need to listen more than talk. <laughs> Um, and start understanding where the problems are and addressing those problems. You address those problems, whether it be in policing, wage inequality, finding jobs, homelessness, all those things play a massive part in what's going on right now. And if we can educate people and find safety nets for people to make them feel like they're important uh, or heard or that they have options, um, people just want to be loved. They just want to feel important. And if we don't make people feel important or heard or listened to, this is the this is the downfall stream effect of it. So, so my point of view that this is an understandable response. Um, and if they want it to go away, um, then they need to listen and start making some real change. Otherwise, this will continue to happen, and maybe it'll stop in a month or two, but it'll happen again if they don't make change. Um, and you can understandably say people are rioting, people are breaking things, destroying things, stealing things. Those people need to be, you know, ticketed, arrested, whatever it is. Sure, that's that's a that's a cause and effect of, of doing damage or stealing things. But it's also a, an effect of something greater. And if they want to to make that change, then find find the start, find the solution <laughs> from 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 the real cause of the problem, which is you know systemic racism or whatever else it is, systemic sexism, ageism, um, all these different things. Um, we've become way too individualistic as a society. So we need to start rethinking how we treat our neighbors. Um, if we're only going to think of them as people that live next door to us, we're already putting a wall between us and them. If we treat as police officers, if we talk about our neighbors that we're trying to protect and serve, if we see them as quote unquote civilians, that puts a wall between me and them. You know, in the military, we we talk about civilians. That's immediately putting a wall between us and them. All those words matter. Mm -hmm. All those things matter. And we need to stop um, 
militarizing the police. We need to stop like being aggressive and punishing like all of that stuff. It's the wrong answer. Right. Um, we should be looking to help people. People don't do these things for no reason. Mostly there's a reason for it. Um, and if, if we can find out what those reasons are and, and unfortunately in our society, find a monetarily beneficial way to, to have safety nets for people or show that monetarily it's beneficial to have the SNAP program or to have, um, affordable housing projects. We can show monetarily beneficial reasons for those things, which they're out there. And I know that they're there and there's a reason why they do them. Then we can have safety nets for people that eliminate the angst and the frustration and the dismissal of a certain sector of people. Um, and then these things stop. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's not a, it's not a difficult problem. It's just the difficult part is the politics behind it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, it's, it's a shame because it's almost just like if we could understand fundamentally, we're all humans. It shouldn't even matter. You know, like it, but we can't seem to as a whole when i say we we can't seem to grasp that we're all humans to have that conversation to realize like it's all just stupid it is um what was i going to ask you um when you when you were a police officer and i know you said you were in a small town but did you see um unfairness uh with people of other races or um police brutality or rumors of police brutality um around you um yes um yes the short answer again is yes um even i don't care if you're in a small department or a big department anytime you hold a position of authority you are going to have people who use that position of authority in ways that it shouldn't be used um either you're using it as a Authority figure to, uh, I tell you what to do, you do it, um, which is not the way to treat policing. Um, or you see people as, and I don't know if racism is explicitly a part of it because I think socioeconomic economics is a, like a, a big driver of this, but, um, you see people beneath you. Like I'm a police officer, you are poor or you are doing something that is beneath me or whatever it is. And you start using your authority to justify the way that you treat people, whether it's male, female, black, white, um, poor, rich, like whatever the person is that's in that position of authority and whatever their experiences are over their lifetime, you know, it's going to be different between each person or person of authority, um, and how they view others. Um, they're going to treat them differently. And so, yes, I saw that. I saw like little microaggressions towards different races or, you know, someone being female or somebody being poor um, or somebody being disrespectful. All of that, you know, gets brushed over, glossed over. And unfortunately in policing, and, and this isn't just in policing, this is in just general life. It, there's really hard to speak up and speak out about these things because if I lose my job as a police officer, do I get hired somewhere else? If I lose my job as an accountant, do I get hired somebody else, somewhere else? Can I get hired somewhere else easily? I have bills to pay. I have jobs to pay. I have a reputation to uphold. So what do you do with these situations? Um, do you bring them to your authorities or your superiors? If you do, based on your interactions with them, how are they going to respond to them? Do you think they're going to respond favorably? Do you think they're going to be empathetic towards your point of view? If they're not, then a lot of times you don't even mention it. Um, and that's the unfortunate part is, is there's not a system in place to speak out on these things without some sort of retribution back at you. Um, and a lot of times in the society, I, I, no matter what the economy is doing right now, it's not a good economy. It's not a good economy that I feel like I can get fired or let go from a job and get a job tomorrow or next week. It's going to be a struggle, especially for people with, you know, less skill or, you know, if they don't have a college education or whatever it is, um, it's difficult for people to do that. So having those situations is going to be really tough for people to openly say, Hey, these things are wrong. I don't agree with them. There needs to be some change. And then you see the superior do the right thing and, and help guide change that doesn't happen 
rarely does it happen. I didn't see it in the military. I didn't see it at my police department. I'm in, I, I work in a medical field right now and I don't see it in the medical field. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen. Um, yeah. There needs to be a groundswell of effort to force people to change things. And that's what, that's what Black Lives Matter and the rioting, it's trying to have a groundswell of effort to, to force change. Because if you just try and act nicely, like Colin Kaepernick did, nobody <laughs> does anything. They just ridicule you. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's not it's, impossible enough, apparently, to make it, a difference. It is. It's difficult. Um, and usually the person who starts it, like Colin Kaepernick, in his situation, they're the ones that get blackballed and ostracized and whatever from whatever they're doing. Um, but later on down the line, like even MLK, like he was hated. Mm-hmm. He was despised, um, and now we look all look back at him as a revered person. But at the time, there there wasn't a lot of love for him. Um, so it's you know that's that's what people are facing when they want to speak out against these things. They know that if they do, that there's going to be backlash, um, and people in general aren't um, receptive to change or to systemic issues that need to be changed because everybody from you know, the new police officer to the, the the chief of police making those changes means that under their leadership, something's not right. And they need to be confident uh, and have enough, you know, self-reflection to understand that those changes can happen under them for, you know, a positive change. But that's really difficult because you're asking people to change and you're asking people to understand that under their leadership, that something is wrong. And right. we are a society that likes to downplay and degrade everybody. Mm-hmm. That is really tough, even for them. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really unfortunate situation, you know, in the system that we're currently living in. Mm-hmm. I agree. Wow. 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 Um, I think I'm done with questions. I know you have to pick up your little ones here <laughs> shortly. Um, do you have anything else? Oh, wait, I do have one more question. Um, if you have a moment. Yeah, go ahead. Have you seen um, our Black Lives Matter um, on the street yet? Yes, I have. That is freaking cool. Um, I hope it's not just a mural that gets looked at, um, even though you know it is pretty cool to look at. But hopefully, even in this city, it's something that people can use as a, a jumping point to start a conversation. But yeah, yeah. I, I saw it. I'm glad they did it. Did you see it before or after someone did the tire marks all the way through it? I saw both of it, both before okay. and after. Um, okay. I, the tire marks is inevitable. I mean, people are, like I said, people suck. So <laughs> <laughs> um, there are going to be a certain amount of people who are going to see that as being disrespectful. So they're going to want to fight fire with fire, which is, you know, like okay. I said, all these, like we've talked about, you know, there are people that just are going to be really hard to change their thought process. Um, but I also look at it as, you know, you have this beautiful Black Lives Matter mural painted on the road and then you have a scar, but um, mm. you don't get to the other end without some scars. That's uh, true. So to me, it, it's just another step in the process to hopefully coming out the other end with some positive change. Yeah, I love how they re, uh, to my understanding, um, I've been traveling, so I didn't get, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but I know um, from what I read anyway, there, some of the artists went back to fix some things after the tire marks are just kind of like, add, I guess to give it a little bit more character. So it just doesn't look like it's tire marks just going straight through. Mm-hmm. Right. Is, yeah. That's why yeah. I asked, did you see it before or after? Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I saw, I saw it before. Um, obviously I'm on Instagram, so I saw all the pictures of it before. Um, and then I saw the reports of it when the tire marks went through it. I have yet to actually be there, um, yeah. which I'm hoping to do, but I'm also trying to social distance as much as possible right now. Um, right. so I, I've seen the pictures, but you know, we have a book for our, our kids that I forget the title of it, but the, the, the message behind it is you can take a crumbled piece of paper or an ink spill or anything that you think is, you know, scuffed or vandalized or crumpled or whatever it is, and you can turn it into a beautiful work of art. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like when I see those things, I just, I always try and see the positive. Um, yeah, it's called Beautiful Oops is the name of the book. Beautiful 
beautiful hoops. Beautiful oops, like oops. Oh, oops, oops, oops. <laughs> yep. Got it. So oh, it, it's a it's a cute book, but it just reminds me of that kind of stuff. You know, you you yeah. you have something beautiful, and something something happens to it. Um, but you take that and turn it into a positive. And you know, like I mentioned before, one of my best friends, um, he's Sikh. Um, and he lives in Oak Creek and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's the, the Sikh temple shooting that happened, you know, like, uh, six, seven years ago now. Um, and that, the, the, the temple shooting that happened there killed six people there. And one of them was my friend's father. So, and their response to all of this was not any kind of anger or frustration. I mean, there's obviously anger and frustration behind the scenes, um, Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this extensively, but, you know, the thing that they came back with from all of this was not any negativity. It was all love. Show love to the to your enemy. Show love to, to, to the people that did this and understand where they came from and why they did this. Now, they, they have no love loss for the person that did it, um, but they also try and show empathy towards the situation and, and take that position where they are at now after all of the the, the, the bad things that happened from from in their community and from that incident and turn it into a positive. And now, you know, so many more people know of, you know, Sikhism and the religion. And, you know, we had a West Point graduate that just graduated as the first Sikh, you know, West Point graduate ever. Like there's, there's positive stuff that can come from negative actions. So, you know, unfortunately, it takes a negative action, but like George Floyd dying, it's terrible and it's heartbreaking to him and his fam or his family. And hopefully from the situation that we came from and all these protests um, and the attention that this is getting, hopefully down the line, it, it enacts some change. Uh, and that's all we can hope for. I mean, we can hope for a lot more, but, you know, we want to hope for some change. And that's what these negative things, we can't look at them as just the negative. We got to look at them as what can we do from this point on to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Right. And, that, and that's kind of how how I view, like, you know, you talk about the mural and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. people are going to be people. We got to find yeah. positive ways that we can respond. Because if we only respond in the negative, that's all we're going to get back is the negative. Right. Right. There's a um, Martin Luther King quote about light. Yep. Is it love or love? I could be mixing the Martin Luther King quote and the Bible all at the same time. There's no telling, but I know <laughs> there's a quote about how um, light only, is it only love or only light? Yeah, I, I'm blanking on that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Because I've posted it on my Facebook before. Um Lynn Manuel Miranda, he's, you know, gave a speech where, you know, he talked about, you know, love is love is love. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all the same concept. The, the more negativity you bring into life, the more you're going to get back. The more love that you bring into life, you know, the more positivity and love you're going to get back. And, you know, my wife and I, we, we try to do as much as we can to show empathy towards people, show love towards people, um, go above and beyond for people. And, there's like people are people. So we're still going to get things that we're just like, why would you do that? Like right. that is not a positive response or that is not a positive thing that you can do in, in return. But you know, us trying to continually show empathy towards people um, and compassion for what they're going through is only going to help us. And that's the goodwill that we can provide to others. And, and hopefully that's what we see back. Um, and if more and more people did that, there'd be less and less of this aggression towards others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I am not going to hold you up so you can go get your, um, your little old people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have truly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for um, talking with me today. Um, Thank you for, uh, all you do for the community. Shout out to Veterans Bridge Home, by the way, which is our connecting factor here. And the incredible Randy Smith. Thank you, because I know she's listening. I appreciate <laughs> you, darling. <laughs> um, uh, veterans, if you are in the need of anything in Charlotte, I would be remiss if I did not plug Veterans Bridge Home right now. But if you're in the Charlotte area and you need anything or have any questions or you're thinking about moving to the Charlotte area, 
um, contact Veterans Bridge Home. I will drop the link in the description. Um, they're an amazing resource here in the Charlotte area and do an amazing thing for us veterans. Um, thank you, James, again, for joining me and all that you do for the community and all of those around you. Keep loving on those little old people. <laughs> I say little old because I swear toddlers seem like teenagers. And, like their attitudes are like teenagers, but they're like babies. Um, they are. <laughs> But thank you so much for uh, carving out some time to chat with me. I enjoyed it. Um, and hopefully I'll get to meet you in real life soon here once the, the pandemic is, is over and we can actually do a, a captain check-in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And if you ever need me for anything else uh, with this podcast or anything else, just let me know. I'm, I'm more than happy to participate. I, I, I love trying to uh, bring a positive voice to anything or, or education in any way. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Until next time. Thanks for joining me this week on Tea Talk with Ty. I would love to connect with you. I am on all social media platforms at I am Ty Wonder and online at tywonder.guru. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave me a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week. Started Tea Talk with Ty. I was so nervous of how to make it all work. But let me tell you about the program that made it so easy for me. It was Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's absolutely the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free 99. You can't beat free 99. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, Google, everywhere. Did I mention you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership? What? It's everything you need to make a podcast in absolutely one place. So, Take that leap, start that podcast, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.